0: Let's pray. loving God, we are so grateful. God, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you for this chance to, to gather together. Thank you for the gift of technology um, that brings us uh, both here in the sanctuary and those of us at our home together. And God, we thank you for the gift of your spirit that somehow mysteriously, divinely um, draws us together, uh, creating one new humanity in Jesus. God, as we uh, gather now and as we turn to the scriptures, we we recognize your spirit among us and ask that your spirit would lead us, guide us, shape us, and form us more and more into the image of Jesus. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. To say that this past year has been a difficult one is both uh, an understatement and, on the other hand, is rapidly appro- approaching the level of cliché right up there with the word unprecedented. And yet... It remains true. <laughs> this has been a really difficult year, really now like 15 plus months, right? I mean, this is, uh, w- w- with dealing with COVID, uh, we recognize like it's affected every area of our lives. Um, I don't know about you, but it's changed the way that I've affected, uh, interacted with my family. Um, so up until this past week, all of my brothers had only ever seen Pax once throughout his entire life up until, yeah, just a few days ago. Um, I know for me and Allie, like, we celebrated Christmas in a driveway at her grandma's in West Virginia. First time that's ever happened, I can guarantee that. Uh, I know it's affected the way that I've interacted with my friends, whereas like throughout the winter months I might have just sent a text and said, hey, do you want to come over and watch a game? Like I spent uh, an afternoon in January having a bonfire so that we could feel safe and together. It's affected like the uh, everyday mundane sorts of things like going to the gym and grocery shopping. And I would assume that this is the case for most of us as well, right? Like, it's affected just about every aspect of our life. And I think we've done a really good job of talking about all of the ways that it's affected our life, but there's one aspect that I think that we've neglected a bit over this past year, and that's our life of worship together. Over this past year, like, we have adapted and we have pivoted like champs (laughs) so that we could continue to worship together. Uh, At one point over this past year, I was reminded that at my first interview, uh, Uh, In an email, that said, we will try and do a Skype call if we can figure it out. And yet, darn it, we've spent the entire year navigating Zoom and figuring out technology together. A true act of God, right? (laughs) But I'm really proud of the ways that we've adapted and we've pivoted so that we could continue to worship, so that we could continue to be together. But I think this begs a really important question. Why? (laughs) Why did we do this? Why for worship specifically? Like, why would we do all of these things so that we can continue to worship together? Like, why would we give up these precious hours of sleep that we have so that we can continue to worship together? Why would we sit outside in the blazing sun roasting so that we could worship together? Or why in the fall sit in the brisk cold weather so that we could worship together? Why navigate Zoom and all of the awkwardness that goes into it when somebody couldn't figure out the right transition so that we could continue to worship together? Why for worship specifically? Like, what is it about worship that seems so important? Well, for the last number of weeks, we've been journeying through the book of Acts And uh, we've been looking at this unfolding story of the church, and this morning as we continue on in the story of Acts, we come to a particular story surrounding uh, two individuals, one by the name of Paul and the other by the name of Silas, who become like some of the central figures of the second half of the book of Acts. And I think as we look at this story this morning, we begin to get a glimpse at two sort of aspects of why worship feels like such an important thing. So in Acts chapter 16, we we recognize that we step into an unfolding story, one that we talked about last week. So we're told of the story of uh, this young, unnamed uh, woman who Luke refers to as a slave girl. Now, this young, unnamed woman has some sort of spirit that possesses her and allows her to tell fortunes. And somebody, never wanting to miss an opportunity, looked at her and realized that they could make a great deal of money off of her. And so uh, several men get together and they own her and they make money off of her telling fortunes. But one day as Paul is walking past to a group of prayer, she she sees Paul and his companions and says, these are men, these are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. And we're told she did this day after day after day. And Paul, we're told, very much annoyed, turns one day and says, out with you in the name of Jesus. And we're told that she's freed. Freed from the spirit, but freed from the men who own her. Now, as you can imagine, when you start dabbling with people's money, people get really upset. And so the men who own her get very upset, and they bring Paul and Silas to the, the city officials, the magistrates. And it's at this point that we pick up in Acts 16, verse 22. And we're told, "...the crowd joined in in attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely." Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Now, it's interesting to note that in a story of like 15 verses or so, um, Luke dedicates three verses to like the beating and the imprisonment that they get. And it seems as though from like a, just a story sort of level, like Luke wants to draw our attention into the situation that Paul and Silas find themselves in. Like, this is a dire and bleak sort of situation. Like, it's a situation where it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of hope because it's not just a few men who owned a young, unnamed woman who are beating them, but now it's the crowds and they're doing it at the city officials prompting. Like, this is a bleak and dire situation, one where it doesn't feel like there's a whole lot of hope and one where it feels like everybody's out to get them, not unlike a global pandemic that we've been going through for the past year. (laughs) I don't know about you, but there's been times where it felt like there were crowds out to get us. Um, Where it seemed like everywhere we went, we were reminded of the fact that there was some sort of virus that's plaguing us. Uh, It seemed like there were situations that were really bleak and dire. It seemed like there were situations where once we began to like figure out how to navigate this thing, somebody with some influence somewhere would speak out and like there would be all sorts of unrest about how to go about it. It seemed like we ourselves in some ways were locked in the innermost cell in a situation that felt really hopeless, really bleak, and really dire. Now I find it really fascinating what Paul and Silas do next. Because in the next verse we're told that about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. In the midst of this bleak and dire situation, in the midst of this hopeless situation, we find Paul and Silas praying and worshiping God, or praying and singing hymns to God. Which is another way of saying, like, Paul and Silas found themselves in this bleak and dire situation worshiping. Now, again, I think this begs the question of why? <laughs> why worship in the midst of this bleak and dire situation? Is it because, like, they recognize that in some way we're dealing with an egotistical sort of God who needs some sort of act of quid pro quo of us scratching God's ego so that God will, in turn, give us some sort of favor that we disguise as calling it a blessing? I hope not. (laughs) I hope that's not why they're worshiping, and I hope that's why you're not here worshiping today either. See, I think when we talk about worship, there's something much more mysterious happening, something much more divine happening, and it requires a bit of a worldview shift. Because I think when we worship, we recognize that there is a God who is at work in our lives, that there is a God who is moving, who is active among us. And when we worship, what we're doing is we are taking an intentional act to step into that movement of God. When we worship, we are taking an intentional act to step into the flow or the current of God's love, of God's grace, of God's peace. See, to worship isn't to enter into some sort of like give and take relationship with God, but it's to like, uh, draw ourselves into awareness of the movement of God, to draw ourselves into alignment with the movement of God, to become aware of this experience that we are having with God right here in our midst. And so again, we ask this question, in the midst of this bleak and dire situation, why do Paul and Silas worship? I think it's in some way to tap into the resources of God, to tap into the love, the grace, the peace of God that is all around us, but it just takes that intentional step of stepping into that current, that flow, that movement of God. I think another way of answering this question of why do they worship in the midst of this bleak and dire situation is to say, because worship sustains us. In the midst of this situation where they'd just been beaten and in prison, tapping into the resources of God in some way was sustaining them. Now, I, I think at this point we can read ourselves into the story uh, again uh, as we think about navigating COVID over this past year. Because I don't know about you, but there were weeks where like, I was like, if I can just get to Sunday, I think I can get through the next week. <laughs> And there was something about all of, like, the awkwardness with Zoom and the, the clunkiness of Zoom that, like, I felt like there was something really beautiful happening in the midst of all of that. Because as we gathered on Zoom, uh, we heard reflections from one another, where it was a song or a poem or a story or a piece of art and as we gathered on Zoom, we heard prayers from one another. We heard how God was at work in our past week and how we were looking for God to be at work. We, as we gathered on Zoom, we heard a benediction to go out and go in peace. And as we gathered on Zoom, we saw one another on our screens and were reminded that we are not alone. See, as we gathered on Zoom, I think we got a glimpse of a gift of God. Reminding us that we're not alone, reminding us that God was not absent in this moment, but that God was vividly at work. And all that we had to do was step into that current to be sustained, to, be ta- to tap into those resources, to know that the love and the grace and the peace of God was, was filling our veins so that we could continue on with our lives. So we ask the question, why worship? Because I think worship sustains us. But there's more that happens here in this story. Because after we're told about their, their praying, their singing hymns, their worship, we're told that suddenly there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. Now this seems to suggest that there was some sort of like indiscriminate saving act of God where like all the doors were open, all of the chains were, were uh, taken off of the prisoners. And then we're told in the very next line that... Uh, this didn't actually affect everybody. <laughs> it saved all people but one person, and that was the jailer living upstairs. The jailer hears this, this earthquake, and he comes tearing down, grabbing the lights, and he sees what has just happened, and he knows that the weight, the responsibility of what has just happened falls on his shoulders, and so to save some sort of face, he decides to fall on his own sword rather than be punished uh, by the, the city officials. But seeing this, Paul yells out, wait, don't do it. We're still here. And the man comes to them and says, okay, how do I get out of this mess? <laughs> and Paul says to him, let me tell you about my friend named Jesus. And so the, the jailer uh, becomes a follower of the way. Him and his entire household, they're baptized. And then the jailer begins to like kneel down and treat the wounds, the bruises, the scrapes, the cuts of all of the prisoners. Now again, I think this begs this question of Why? <laughs> Like Paul, who had just been beaten, who had just been in prison, was just radically freed. Like, why didn't Paul just leave? Why didn't Paul just let the jailer take his own life? Why didn't Paul just uh, look out and fend for himself? Well, I think at this point we recognize that worship does more than just sustain us. But I think we recognize that worship shapes us. See, the story begins with Paul and Silas offering up prayers and singing hymns to God of stepping into this current of God. And we recognize that this current of God acts much like a river of water where like a river of water will bust out any sort of sediment, any sort of muck, any sort of junk that wants to gunk up the river, so too does this river of God. And so when we step into the river of God, we recognize that all of the sediment, all of the junk, all of the muck that wants to muck up our life gets busted away too. And all that remains is the heart of Jesus as we step into the flow of God's love and grace and peace, all that remains is the love and grace of peace of God as we are being shaped in this process. And so on one hand, Paul could have left. Paul could have left the jailer to fend for himself. But on another hand, Paul couldn't have left. Paul couldn't have left the jailer to fend for himself because Paul had been so shaped by the heart of Jesus that when Paul sees his jailer, his enemy, he responds the way that we see Jesus responding time and time again out of love for his enemy. And again, I see ourselves in this story through this past year with COVID um, because we made a really difficult decision to not continue to meet in person. Um, We said that like we were under this conviction that we couldn't worship wholeheartedly in person knowing this risk of COVID. And yet there were sentiments around churches uh, all over the place of saying like, we have to continue to meet so that we can worship God. (laughs) But it's interesting that when Jesus talks about the greatest commandment, he says, you must love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Which means that these become a bit of a litmus test for one another. That like to love God means that we also have to love our neighbor. Which means if we do something to love God that doesn't love our neighbor, I don't think it actually loves God. Or if we do something to honor God that doesn't honor our neighbor, I don't think it actually honors God Or to put it even more bluntly, to worship God in a way that puts our neighbors in danger, I don't think is true in actual worship of God. And so we made this difficult decision not to worship. And yet, ironically, I think this in in and of itself was a profound act of worship. And as we did this, there, there began to be this thing that happened where like, we had this growing awareness of the reality of COVID in our life. We had this growing concern for COVID in our life. And we had this growing empathy for those whose lives were affected by COVID. Something that I don't think would have happened had we continued on as if, things, uh, as if there wasn't some sort of thing happening in our world. So we ask once again, why do we worship? Well, on one hand, worship sustains us. But on the other hand, worship also shapes us. So uh, given this story and given the unique experiences of this past year, um, I want to take just a moment and like dream and think and reflect on the role that worship plays in our life. And uh, you don't need to hear me continue on with that. I think it would be great to hear from you all on that, both here in person and on Zoom. Um, So we're going to do this, though, through the lens of sustaining and shaping. And so uh, two questions for us. We'll go one at a time here. Uh, the first question is, what about worship sustains us? Like what about worship uh, uh, allows us to step in and experience the love and the grace and the peace of God? And the second question is, what about worship shapes us? What about worship shapes within us a heart of Jesus that allows us to love our neighbor as ourselves? So we'll start with the first question. Uh, I'll repeat it again. Feel free to just yell out as needed, and I'll navigate as we we need. Um, So the first question, what about worship sustains us? Uh, What about it allows us to step into the current of God's love and grace and peace? Connection. Connection? Connection with your church community. Connection with church community, yeah. Mm-hmm, praying for those during God at work, yeah. The variety of volunteering
1: mm. goes
0: on, mm-hmm. seeing everybody's variety of gifts. Yeah, yeah, seeing the variety of gifts. I'm repeating for those on Zoom. Physically yeah. and
1: mentally places <laughs> me in a place where I can encounter God, rather
0: than your God. Yeah, physically and mentally putting myself in a place to encounter God. Hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Also the words of yeah. Songs of yeah. Imagination, words of songs and scripture. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh healing uh, and a sense of like um understanding and reinterpreting words that have been used in a different way <laughs> and bringing new life to them. I think even being um, a parent of a young child, even being down in the toddler room and being able to be with other friends mm. yeah yeah, um, watching children and, and connecting with friends and other parents, yeah. Uh, Bob Bowen, do I see you?:
1: Yeah, um, when, when we worshiped on Zoom as, as a church for all those months, I could see I could see other people in ways that I couldn't see them when we were in the congregation, yeah, because the focus of my visual um, field was on the the worship leader and when we were when we were in zoom my focus was actually on on the community yeah and um, that that was just really special for me yeah yeah
0: Uh Uh-huh, yeah. Yeah, Sustain's uh, perspective on on life and the, the events that are going on, yeah. Any other thoughts on Sustain? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, singing songs being an act of, of cleansing um, the, the, the junk in our life, yeah, yeah. Well, what about the second question then? So what, what about worship uh, shapes us? What um, shapes within us the heart of Jesus uh, that empowers us to love our neighbor as ourselves? ways of, of serving and recognizing that there can be small ways of making a big impact. Yeah. I think it's like a reshaping for me
1: as a reminder that I am part of God's story mm. and we're, we're talking about God's story rather than God is part of my story. Sure,
0: yeah. And so I think it's always a reminder and then I'm, my lens has changed uh-huh. to
1: um, care Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, uh, a reshaping of being brought into God's story that's bigger than just my story, yeah. Scripture provides reminders. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I see it in a new way that I had not uh-huh. seen it before. Okay. Yeah, scripture being a reminder, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, refocusing of of our values, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's an act of stepping out, out of ourself um, to acknowledge the worth of God and the worth of, of others, yeah.
1: Lord and I talked about this a little bit last night and recognizing for both of us it's a discipline that's been a part of our lives from infancy on up. And so that very reality of it being a part of our development says it's if, if, if you don't do it, something's missing. It feels mm-hmm. like yeah yeah is the discipline that helps
0: to keep the values yeah that yeah yeah the repetition of of doing it since childhood um bringing about the values yeah Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah, there was a reflection on uh Jonas' life and uh the acknowledgement that the examples of others, especially over, you know, a ninety plus year life, uh and the way that that can inspire us and shape us too. Yeah. I think this is a safe place to show weaknesses
1: hmm. which brings community.
0: Yeah, yeah. Safe place to show weaknesses which brings community. Yeah. Accountability, kind of what Yeah, 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 Um, being shaped through accountability.
1: Sean? Yeah. One thing I really appreciated uh, while we were worshiping all together on Zoom was how the children uh, would share after church um, something they had learned or something they had done, and... um, it just, it just really brought home that, that, that image of worshiping uh, God um, from the perspective of a child. Yeah. And I don't think that, that had happened before. The, just the, the freedom to say, look what I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, l- look what God does. Um, it was just really powerful. Yeah. yeah. Hmm.
0: Any other thoughts? Well thanks for doing that um, yeah that yeah um, i'm I'm someone who when I feel like i'm getting in a rut it's always really helpful to take a step back and ask why <laughs> um, and yeah i'm I'm feeling that uh, today, so thank you for that um, and I hope that as we continue. Um, to evolve whatever in the world worship looks like for us, that we can continue to consider these things and um, find ways of bringing life-giving things that happened during COVID into whenever and whatever a post-COVID world uh, can look like. Um, um, So friends, may we uh, continue to worship. Um, May we know that God uses this to sustain us, Uh, May we know that um, worship is bigger than us as individuals, but that God is using it to shape us so that we can join in on the work of God and the world around us. And may we know that as we gather, whether that be in person, on Zoom, or some hybrid of the the two, um, that something beautiful, sacred, and holy takes place. Amen.